0: senior focus. Welcome everyone. I'm Anne-Marie Curie. I'm your presenter for this session and we've been talking in the last session about the Writers' Festival, which was quite an exciting event and I did, on reflection, think it was almost a seniors' festival because when you looked around the audience, a good Two-thirds to three-quarters were definitely seniors, definitely likely to be 65-plus, and a lot were 80-plus. So um, it was a ver- very much a reflection of what um, we could expect a number of events to look like in the future when our senior population is going to be at least a quarter of all Aucklanders. That's something that uh, some of our uh, decision-makers are yet to actually take on board fully when to planning services and uh, resources and so on. And it's something that is going to hit them quite hard when the reality sets in as the numbers increase dramatically towards 2030. Now, <clears throat> today I want to talk about navigating seniors. I want to talk about um The journey across the lifespan for seniors. I want to talk about um, preparing for that journey and some of the issues that arise because we've never had large numbers of seniors in our society before, like this, and every country on the planet is actually having to cope with this. Uh, In Japan, they have, of course, got the largest senior population of any country in the world and they seem to cope um, remarkably well, uh, but they haven't got everything right either. They are ahead in the use of robots and they're a society that does... uh, extend caring to people. I mean, it's a very caring society overall um, in terms of people on the street uh, a very... Courteous and polite, and people will go out of their way to give you directions and help you find things and places. Uh, And so, they have lots of seats and they specialize in having pocket parks, which are very good rest spaces for seniors moving around because there's uh, perfumed plants, there's bright colored plants, and comfortable seating. So, these kind of by pocket parks, I mean. Uh, Something about the size of a a, a small bedroom to a medium bedroom. Nothing like a sports field or a place where you can wander around and do laps or anything. No, this is just a, a gap between buildings on a street corner kind of thing but it breathes life into the city and it uh, is a rest space and a breathing space for people when they're on the move so we could do with more pocket parks as we intensify in our city as we have more and more high rise buildings and and even intensify in suburbs we could do with more parks so um, expect to see these in your neighborhood because this is part of uh placemaking which which is being supported locally uh at the council level and I know that Panuku, the commercial arm of Auckland Council, have been involved in some of these developments. I also know that Kainga Ora, um, in its housing developments, are looking at pocket parks and having uh, some places for people to have recreational space. Not not large sports fields, but um, a place where you can kick a ball around or play catch or something like that, uh, so that children without backyards are actually catered for. So when it comes to seniors, of course, seating is really paramount. And I've noticed that in some parts of the city, we have interesting seat furniture called street furniture. Um, Interesting uh, that Victoria Park has a wonderful curved, bench uh, that is an indigenous uh, work of art Uh, Ngāti Whātua have supported, but it's actually uh, something that's very beautiful to look at. It's very satisfying with its curved shape. But at the same time, it um, allows quite a large group of people to sit at one time. And I've noticed that there are more and more groups of seniors going out on buses for bus trips and so on, using the public transport together. And so when they do this, if they're um, changing from a local... Uh, centralismus bus to an express bus to go back onto the North Shore for example um, they can sit all, in, all together as one on a seat like this so some forethought has gone into why we might need those sorts of seats I guess people attending sports matches before they catch the bus home would be one example but we need to think more about what we want as seniors what we need as seniors and need to get our voice heard out there and need to get into discussions because quite often what is produced is not necessarily helpful to us it might be okay if you've got if you're in a wheelchair and the seat is designed so that you can bring your chair close by and slide off your wheelchair onto the seat, have a breather from your chair or um, allows your caregiver to sit beside you. You can be in the chair and your caregiver sits on the seat. Uh, There are lots of um, sensible, uh, accessible solutions that are coming to the fore and Sometimes we tend to judge situations from the past and we don't realise the environment's actually improving. And so instead of going out and seeing the improvements, we tend to stay home thinking... I can't go there because it doesn't work for me. Uh, But really we need to keep abreast by keeping an eye out and talking to others and finding out how things are changing and what's a good place to go and why and so on and what's an accessible place. I'm both excited by some of the developments I see but I'm also mindful of the struggle that exists where we've got very heavy doors why are we pushing on heavy, heavy doors to get into a building when we're there to spend money or we're there to access our money or we're there to um, share an event? Why do we need to do this? I mean, why can't the door open automatically if we stand on a mat if they want us in the building? Um, <laughs> We're not terrorists, so I think there's a long way to go yet with uh, improving accessibility. But I have mentioned in the past that the Access Alliance is busy working and they are uh, preparing uh, for a very big campaign towards getting legislation through Parliament. And this is aimed for the next nine months and I think by December this year. They would hope that the bill will be in the House. So I will be reporting more on this. I'll be actually interviewing people so that we're very aware of all the elements of this bill and it's probably the most far-reaching legislative change that would improve life for seniors that we actually are going to see in the next 10 years. It's It's an incredibly important piece of legislation and it's based a lot on what has already been achieved in Canada so, there are already live examples showing how such legislation has changed lives and how it works and and that it's effective because there's nothing worse than bad law that doesn't work um, or that just imposes a lot of compliance on people without much benefit. But this we can actually see um, really literally opens doors for people. So, Watch this space. Now, on the festival front, the next festival coming up that I want to talk about is the Dock Edge Festival. And it's one that might be something some people haven't taken a lot of notice of in the past. It's running from the 17th to the 27th of June, but that's the the, uh, physical uh, viewing of film in theatres. Through either in Auckland or Wellington, and there are various screenings of various documentaries, which I'll talk about some in the moment. But there's also an online possibility where you can actually watch um, a screen at home, and if your laptop's connected to your television, you can have quite a good experience actually watching. Uh, for yourself and, and you can invite other people to join you so that's a possibility as well now the festival has been very well organised and there are some illustrious people involved um, Judy Bailey the champion of this year's doc festival and there are um, various films that are both New Zealand orientated or involve New Zealanders in their stories Uh, but they may be made overseas or they may be having world premieres here and two in particular i want to talk about one is uh the garden of evil which is a documentary which actually explores the similarities between the death of sir peter Blake in the amazon and a similar attack that was made on Pete Bethune uh, some 16 years earlier, although he didn't die from the attack, he could have. And the suggestion is uh, that this was not an accident, nor was it a simple case of murder for money. It was actually deliberately planned uh, in order to attack environmental activists and silence them because the powers behind such activity are uh, involved in illegal logging, involved in uh, illegal drug uh, networks, and part of um, the general high crime scene uh, was in Brazil itself. Now, that's a pretty big claim, but it's explored by a very astute uh, legal and criminal um, investigator. And the result is a first-class documentary. So, I'd recommend... Um, not just because it's about Sir Peter Blake's death, but because it's actually unpacking strategically the forces at work uh, that could have led to his murder. I think it's very worthwhile, the Garden of Eden, uh, of evil, sorry, and that is, uh, that was a very unfortunate slip there, Um, but that's going to screen on Saturday the 12th of June at 6.45 p.m., And I think that's at the Sky City Theatre. And you'll be pleasantly surprised to know that tickets for seniors are $17. They're at a cheaper rate. And I would recommend that you get in because, uh, you know, there's only that one screening uh, in Auckland. Now... Another one that I want to pick on is the High Tide Don't Hide film, which is about climate change and the youth's reaction, their organizing uh, activism, their authority, their awareness, uh, what they present as a their own steep learning curve in the process of unpacking climate change. And this is a world premiere. So it's screening in Auckland on Friday the 11th of June at 6pm. And so that's, an, that's uh, something that uh, has been touted by Dr Ella Her- Henry from AUT as being one of the best, most important films that she's ever seen in years and gives her hope for the future. So, on that note, I um, I think it's uh, a must-see on, on my list. Thank you for uh, just accepting my little plug there for the festival and for those two particular films. Now, in talking today about navigating life as a senior, I just wish to say that one only has to look at the plethora of uh, charities and organisations set up to help youth now across New Zealand. And we know they have problems. We know they have a high suicide rate. We know a lot of them are lonely. We know from Helen Clark's foundation um, that uh, they have had significant mental health issues during COVID uh, because of the sense of isolation and the questioning of their identity and not actually having enough support to be able to work out where is hope in the future? Where are we going in this world where we've got such um, massive uh, threats coming at us? on so many different levels. So, yes, we have a plethora of charities for use, and yes, we have a lot of avenues for people to donate to use and to help use. At the other end of the lifespan, we don't have the same kind of support system, resources and structures for seniors. Now, one example would be somebody coming out of hospital who lives alone and doesn't have family, uh ends up with no uh, tangible support in recovery from operations. Why? Well, the GP may uh, refer them to uh, a needs assessment service operated by the DHB, but the DHB sends a letter to them saying, oh, we can't actually assess you for at least six months. So in the meantime, here's a list of agencies that provide support. Now, if you have the money, you can pay for someone to come in and help do shopping, or you can pay for someone to um, help lift, climb on ladders, change light bulbs, do your windows, uh, clean your floor. Things things where bending, lifting, climbing are difficult uh, following surgery. Yes, at a price. All of these things can be done. But what if you are just living on the pension and your pension um, is uh, a quarter of it's going to pay rates or more and another part is going to pay for your food and, and another part for your medicine and your doctor's visits and so on. You may have very little left over and certainly not enough to pay wages for people to come and do these tasks. So how would you fear? And this is the this is the um, question that we need to ask because we don't have the hard data on this. One thing that. The Christchurch earthquakes did was it gave an opportunity for government to get data first hand from the door knocking that was done in the most affected areas where there were quite a concentration of seniors living alone, living without family. And this kind of data was quite useful to government for future long term planning. However, that's only just a segment of. A community in New Zealand, we need a much more thorough idea of exactly who's missing out, who doesn't have the supports they need and where can they get them and how can they get them. And then when you start looking at who's providing services and what is being provided, if you look at the charities and you look at the people who um, front frontline of information and Uh, maybe a listening ear, maybe some social work assistance, that type of thing, it's largely concentrated for the 80 plus. If you're going through a transition and a crisis um, that's economic, you've lost your job and you can only exist on the pension and you can't make that work for you anymore because you're Uh, mortgage on the house or your extra repairs for the house are way beyond what the pension allows you to meet this is where you need support this is where you need to be able to talk through options without somebody trying to steer you into an option that they get kickbacks financially it's difficult if you ring helplines, if you ring counselling lines or, um, you know, even even talk to your community constable or, you know, whatever agencies in the community you reach out to first, you're likely to be talking to someone who's much younger than you, who hasn't actually navigated uh, across transitions in senior life and who has had little uh, contact with seniors, who doesn't have a very wide perspective, so they may have a very narrow view of what it, what decisions could be made in a life of someone in your such circumstances. They may tell you, "Oh, well, you should sell your house and and go and live in a retirement village," as though that's a magic answer to your financial. Circumstances. Of course, um, it's a very huge issue to sell your house, and at the same time, it may mean a loss of your friends and your contacts in your neighbourhood because you may not find the retirement villages in your neighbourhood. There may not be any around the corner, and it's giving up control. It's actually going into a place where you have a licence to occupy but you can't have full control over exactly what you do in that place or exactly what you have in your garden. You may find that you're not even allowed to plant things in your garden. You're only allowed pots on a deck or something. Whatever um, restrictions are there, they will be real. And, you know, you need to really think about how much control is important for your well-being, Certainly, there's a lot of evidence that if you stay in your own home and extra supports can be provided when they're needed, then you're going to actually live longer and you're going to fear better. So, despite people saying, oh, well, you can beat loneliness by going and becoming part of a community of seniors in a retirement village, you may be very lonely in that village. It doesn't guarantee you uh, the interaction of the sort that you want necessarily. So it's not a panacea for everything. Staying in your own place might well be your best option, but who's going to help you stay there and who's going to help you fight those battles to um, have more control over your financial situation? I know lots of people worry and they worry intensely about whether they're going to be able to meet their rates bill next year because the rates rises are quite steep this time. They worry about um, what happens when the next thing breaks down. Uh, The the key jams in the lock and they have to get a new lock for their front door. A call out and a new lock would set them back $300 and it's got to be paid immediately on the spot. And then what happens if the washing machine breaks down and it's electronic, it's too expensive to get it fixed, you it would be better to actually buy a new machine. There are, I, there's countless examples I could just keep bringing up, but there's also the fact that you've, you're faced with a lot of choices because often what you go to replace an item with, you've now got instead of just one choice, you've got maybe... A dozen different choices, and some are future proofed, some are linked to more sophisticated wiring in your house, which you haven't got, or uh, more sophisticated gadgets to operate so you can turn them off and on from a distance. And then you wonder, will you forget to do this, or if you have turned them on or turned them off? You know, how much do you want to burden yourself with a whole lot of extra? decisions and things to worry about. I think this this is all part and parcel of coping with change of course but change uh, that on a scale that's quite intense that you haven't had to deal with for previous tens of decades. So it makes it a challenging time. Sometimes you need breathing space and a sounding board to be able to just set out now what are the possibilities here if I did this what 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 then and often when we're doing the thinking by ourselves we don't actually canvas the whole gamut our mind cuts off because we have some emotional reaction oh this could hurt someone or this could allow me to be scammed or this could open um, the opportunity for um, more change that I don't want. So we cut off that option without really fully considering it and then bounce on to the next thing. If we're working with somebody who's a counsellor, a social worker, or um, even a volunteer that's got a very good listening ear that's working for an agency that cares about seniors, we can actually take time with such a person to explore what these options actually mean without getting frightened or without getting overreactive, without dismissing options quickly. We can really go into getting a sense of exactly what we need to do and what, what would happen next if we did them and think through so that we've canvassed things thoroughly so when we actually do take the step that we take next, we know that we're confident we're doing the right thing. We're not actually going to be questioning out what we're doing and thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done it uh, so many nights later. So I'm very delighted to tell you that there are some people starting up organisations that are helping seniors and in this way um, I do see some light at the end of the tunnel. I do see some new things happening on the horizon so we will report more on, on these developments in future programs. Meanwhile, I hope you're all keeping warm and coping with a cold snap. So enjoy our New Zealand Music of the Month disc. And this is Neil Finn and Crowded House. People are like sons. Thank you for listening.
1: You're thinking uh I-